This is the I'm in Love with That Song podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brad Page, here with another edition in the Albums That Made Us series. Joining me this episode is Chris Sinzak, co-host of the Decibel Geek podcast, one of the most popular rock podcasts out there. And he's also the organizer behind the Rock and Pod Expo, taking place August 6th through the 8th in Nashville, Tennessee. I will be there, and so will a ton of other podcasts and special guests, so come on down to Nashville and check it out. This turned out to be a nice long discussion with Chris, so without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Chris Sinzak. So, Chris, welcome to the I'm in Love With That Song podcast. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me on. I, I love your show. I love the concept behind it. I uh, And I, I know we're, we're doing something a little different today than what you normally do, but uh, and I love the concept behind what we're doing today. Well, yeah, you know, discovering rock and roll when I was a kid was really, uh, it was a life-changing thing for me. I just, I remember so vividly certain records that just opened me up or set me on a path that just made a huge impact in my life. And and I'm always interested to hear about albums that had that kind of impact on other people. So tell me about an album that's had a big effect on you. Well, so, um, you know, the one I picked, um, anyone who listens to my show, Decibel Geek, will, is probably not going to be shocked that I picked this album. But And it's become kind of a source of joking uh, among people about why I love this album so much, because it was released at the kind of a low point of this band's career but for me it was a, a big door opener and uh and I, as i'll get into things a bit of a savior for me as far as what i was going through in life at the time I'm, and uh, i picked crazy nights by kiss tell me more so i mean I, I i picked this because you know it came out in 1987 and to uh give a little bit of backstory i had just really become a big time rock and roll fan at the time i grew up like most kids being into pop music in the early 80s, I was born in 76, so you, I'll give you a little bit of a barometer of what I was into. So, of course, when Prince and Michael Jackson and Duran Duran and all that stuff was on the charts in the early 80s, of course I was into all that stuff because that's what was on the radio. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't really have a big uh, awareness of like hard rock music. And then I saw the Come On, Feel the Noise video by Quiet Riot on MTV, and I really loved that song. And then Twisted Sister released their videos for like, we're not going to take it and I want to rock, which also made me take notice. And and I I just, I loved anthems, you know, anthems were really kind of a, a great thing to kind of lift you up during childhood, you know? Sure. And then I got very into Poison and Rad and Bon Jovi and all those bands just because I was a, you know, I was like between 10 and 12 during all those years. And I remember um, loving all that stuff because those were the new bands and they were like the hot bands at the time. And my uh, brother had a best friend. My older brother was three years older than me, and his best friend was very into Kiss. And, of course, his room was covered in posters of them and makeup at the time. And I remember actually making fun of him for it and Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, these guys look ridiculous. They look like a bunch of evil clowns. This is so stupid. And he's just like, well, if you give it a chance, you'll like it. And uh, I remember... I would I would do like most other people. I would watch Dial MTV every day on MTV, and that was around the time Crazy Nights came out. And they were like, you know, here's the new video by Kiss. It was Reason to Live, no less. You know, big power ballad. Right. And I was like, wow, this is really good. And like, that's Kiss. And I remember telling that guy across the street, I was like, I was like, damn, Kiss is doing better stuff now than they did back in the in the day. Which I feel kind of you know embarrassed saying that now. 
but I was a kid that was into what was new at the time. And, uh, I remember watching that and that kind of opened the door for me. And, uh, of course, you know, the kiss was in regular rotation at that time. So like reason to live got a lot of play, but also the crazy, crazy nights video was getting a lot of play at the time. And I really fell in love with that song because it's such a, so anthemic. But, uh, at that point, my older brother gave me his copy of alive and I first got a chance to really listen to that. And that really kind of sealed the deal as far as me being a kiss fan and appreciating all the older stuff. But crazy nights came out and, in, in my opinion at that time as just a kid, I was like, these guys are every bit as good as Poison and Rad and Bon Jovi and all that stuff. Because I, I thought the stuff on Crazy Nights was every bit as good, if not better, than a lot of that stuff. But I didn't realize most kids at that time were like, oh, these guys are old. They're, they're has-beens. It's funny considering that people thought Kiss were has-beens in 1987, and they're still around now, which is kind of crazy. Well, some people thought they were has-beens in 1980, too. Yeah, I mean, like, a lot of people thought they were flashing the pan at the end of the 70s, but uh, one thing that I'll say, though, is the interesting thing about them was Kiss was always the band for kind of the nerdy kids or the outcast or, you know, the kids that didn't fit in quite anywhere, and that was true with me. My dad was a salesman. And by the time we got to 1987, we had moved five or six times around the country. And as you could imagine, you know, being that age, so 87, I was around 11, 11, 12 years old. That was a a very hard time to be moving around a lot, be the new kid everywhere. So Kiss kind of like really tapped into me where it was one of those things where it's like, it's okay to be different. It's okay to not fit in. And, and I've learned that through the podcast I do and through going to kiss concerts is like, they're kind of the, they're the band for the rest of us. I guess I would say they're not for the cool kids. And, uh, this album just really latched on and it always holds a special place in my heart. Are there particular songs? Um, you did mention the title cut, but are, are there were the particular songs that you just really, for whatever reason, really connected with you that well, reason to live kind of did because in like, I know it's a love song and it's about a girl that brags Paul Stanley's heart around or whoever wrote it. Um, I guess Desmond child wrote it, but, uh, you know, it's about there's everybody's got a reason to live, but it can't be your love, which I'm 11, 12 years old. I don't really know what love is at that point, but the great thing about music is you can kind of reinterpret it to, to fit your needs. Right. For me, I I went through a lot of, I'm not going to get into great detail on this, but I I did go through some traumatic stuff as a a kid. So, Mm -hmm. um, and I was always the outcast kid. I always got picked on a lot and uh, I just didn't fit in real well. And it was just one of those things, Kiss kind of taught you to to deal with adversity and kind of rise above it. Paul Stanley wrote a lot of songs, especially on this record that, that kind of have that ethos, you know? So even though Your Reason to Live is about you know, jilted lover or whatever. But to me, it was, everybody's got a reason to live. It was just kind of like an inspiring message of you're going through a really rough time right now, but there's a reason for it and you're going to get through it. And then there's other, you know, crazy, crazy nights. 
they try to tell us we don't belong. That's all right. We're millions strong. And it's kind of like I'm part of the KISS Army, so I found a, a group of people that I fit in with. Right. And, of course, there is the sex stuff on here, too. You know, when your walls come down is a straight-up sex sleazy rocker. But as a kid going through puberty, you get into that stuff, too. Yeah, there's on every Kiss record. There's there's some really stupid stuff, but there's always. I mean, it's corny, but there's always really you know aspirational and inspirational things there, and that was always about, particularly in with with Paul, Gene too, but mostly with Paul. There, there's never been an interview with Paul where he didn't talk about Kiss is all about being true to yourself. Forget about what the trends are, what people tell you should be. Be who you want to be. And, you know, when you're a teenager, anywhere you can get that that message because um, there's just so much pressure when you're a teenager to to conform. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I thought about this, you know, because I know I'm going to record with you this week. So I've kind of gone back and listened to it. And I still listen to this record a few times a year, um, although I've told a lot of friends, like, you know, I don't really have to listen to most of Kiss's catalog anymore just because it's ingrained in my DNA now. Every now and then they still pull this one out. Um, but this album gets a lot of hate, you know, and Paul Stanley's inspirational lyrics get a lot of hate from people these days. But I think we're in a much more jaded society than we were back in those days. You know, the that 80s period of time is like it was you could unabashedly be positive and not get flack for doing it. But now you probably couldn't get away with that. You get made fun of. But no, it was it's an album where, you know, every time I listen to it, though, I'm like, I see why I got into the band and Honestly, they opened the door for me to get into so many other bands. Because then you start doing the, your research, you find out they inspired these other bands that are younger than them. But this album just tapped into me. And I mean, I must have listened to this album on repeat for months when it came out. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm not a giant fan of MTV now, as most of us aren't. But uh, if it wasn't for MTV, I never would have gotten into Kiss. I, I'm pretty sure of that. So... The fact that most fans call this, the, this is their keyboard album, right? That's the diss against this this record. Yeah. Um, but I guess kind of coming in when you came in, it, it's, that didn't mean anything to you. No, I mean, keyboards were part of the stock and trade of hard rock at that time. It wasn't that outside the box in 1987. And, you, you know, everybody praises Eddie Van Halen, especially in the last year of, you know, since we lost him. But if you're going to blame somebody for bringing in keyboards and synths as far as on a mass level, it was Eddie Van Halen. Because once Jump hit and songs like I'll Wait, it really made those things kind of go in vogue. And then with rock, especially with bands like Van Halen and Motley Crue, everybody played Follow the Leader. Sure. And Kiss was doing that at that time. And they were trying to take a page out of a lot of other bands' book because the band was struggling at the time. And it's not really an honest record. I mean, I will admit that as far as what Kiss is known for but 
I think it's still a great product. Um, I think for Paul Stanley, it was an honest record because I do think he was really into this type of music at the time. I don't think Gene was, but I think Paul was steering the ship and he's like, well, Bon Jovi and bands like that are doing these types of songs and we have to fit in with that crowd. And, and they had to do what they had to do to survive. But it's one of those things where like they were kind of following trends, but at the same time, I think they get a bad rap for that because I think what they put out with this record was every bit as competitive as everything else that was being released in those days. Um, some of Gene's stuff was actually more honest and from the gut at that time than what Paul was doing. But uh, some of my favorite songs on this record are actually Gene's songs. And it's one of those things where at the time it was, I was all about Paul's material when I was 12 years old listening to this, mm-hmm. but hell or high water, good girl gone bad. Thief in the Night, I think those songs are all excellent songs. And Thief in the Night, I think, is absolutely one of the strongest songs in this record. I know it it, it came from a Wendy a Williams record that he worked on, but it's it. I mean, the version on here is great. Yeah, and uh, to me, like "Bang Bang You" is a terrible song. I think, oh, it's awful. <laughs> and that's a Paul song, so we got no one to blame but him for that. Well, you know, but I, I remember in, in '87 or '88, when, around the time I was really listening to this a lot, I remember kind of liking "Bang Bang You" just because I mean, you got to admit the riff is catchy. It, it's like it's a ca- musically, it's a catchy song, but lyrically, it's just terrible. <laughs> and um, but when you're 12, you don't really pay much. You, you think it's clever. Well, you think some of this stuff's clever when you're 12, but not so much when you're in your 40s. <laughs> They pinned a lot of hopes on this record. Like they, they waited two years to make it because Ron Nevison wasn't available. Ron Nevison was the hottest producer in the, in the industry at that time. Yeah. You know, he had, he had helped resurrect Hart's career. He did uh, work with Ozzy and several other bands. 
And they honestly were banking on this being a multi-platinum success. And in my opinion, I think it should have been. There is a sheen to this record that I think is all Ron Nevison. Yes. Um, that I'm not a big fan of just because it tends to make the songs generic in a way. Um, that, you know, they could easily be swapped out for like heart totally during this period. That's him. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's a smart guy. He's a great producer, but it's, it's that 80s sheen that I, I'm personally not a, a big fan of, but there's some, there's some good stuff on here. A fight like hell is like almost like some prog rock stuff going on in that song. Yeah. That's one of the more adventurous things the band's ever done in my opinion. <laughs> There's a lot going on in that song. And Bruce Kulick is kind of the unsung hero on this record, in my opinion. His leads on this album are great. The solos on Hell or High Water and Good Girl Gone Bad. Listen to Bruce's playing on those songs in particular. His playing is really outstanding on this record. And like I don't I think Bruce does not get the credit he deserves for some of his 80s playing. And I think some of that is kind of brought on by the band themselves because when the Revenge album came out, Paul and Gene kind of were slagging Bruce, going, you know, Bruce wasn't really playing from his crotch in the 80s. And all I'm thinking, Bruce was doing exactly what you wanted him to do in the 80s. He was trying to do the Guitar Hero thing. And I love Bruce's soloing through this whole record. And I think that he's every bit as good as a lot of the Guitar Heroes from that era. You just never hear about him. <laughs> There's really not much on this album other than Bang Bang You and No No No. Those are kind of the two that really stick out and maybe my way. But other than that, I love every single thing on this record. And let me give a little bit of props for a, a song that should have been a massive hit. I think Turn On The Night should have been a huge hit. And I still do not understand why it wasn't. Diane Warren, who was a hit maker for so many other bands, Aerosmith included, wrote that song with them, and it's the catchiest damn thing you'll ever hear, and had a great video for it. 
I still cannot figure out why Turn on the Night was not a hit. And I still also can't figure out why the band never played it live. Yeah, they really didn't play much from this record live, right? No, they would play they would play No 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 Live, which is like one of the worst songs on the record. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy Crazy Nights is is to me one of their party anthem songs. That to me is just really reeks of that glam pop UK sound, and I love that. And it was big in the UK. Yeah, I believe that was their highest charting single mm-hmm. in the UK. Woo! Yeah, they had a very big UK tour based off this record, but it was like the UK caught on to it, but uh, America and a lot of the rest of the world just didn't. But to get back to why I picked this album, you know, it just, it was just Kiss was the band for the rest of us. And I was part of the rest of us. And, and I've learned this over the years. They were just the best band for, for people that were not the popular kids. And I was never a popular kid, and and I got ridiculed for being a Kiss fan, especially being a twelve year old Kiss fan in nineteen eighty seven. I'm and I'm saying Crazy Nights is the greatest album ever. I mean, you can imagine the ridicule I got for that. People saying, you know, you need to listen to Motley Crue, you need to listen to Metallica, which I did listen to those bands too. But Kiss was my band. They were always the band for the outcasts, and that's what endeared them to me. But yeah, they helped me through a lot of difficult times. I would I would go into those songs and. And, you know, and even when I got into the makeup version of the band, I would go in, I would escape into that stuff where they kind of took, took you away from your problems. And Kiss has always been great about doing that. Yeah. For me today, they're not my favorite band. And to be honest, they wouldn't be in my top 10 favorite bands, but once upon a time, they were my first favorite band. And and that just makes them hugely important to me. It's like your first love or anything like that, right? It's it. There's a place that those firsts hold that no matter what, there's always that spot. The first Kiss album I owned was Rock and Roll Over, but it was really Kiss Alive that blew me away and made me a total Kiss fan. When I was a kid, preteen, I didn't really care about music at all. My parents were of the Lawrence Welk generation, <laughs> which is enough to make anyone hate music. (laughs) And uh, my obsession was comic books. I was a hardcore comic book fan when I was, you know, in elementary school or grade school or whatever. 
And if there was any band that was scientifically engineered to turn a comic fan into a rock fan, it was Kiss. Oh, yeah. So, you know, they were my gateway drug, as it were. But Kiss Alive was the album that I played over and over, the one that first got me uh, actually interested in playing drums, which I did for a little bit, wasn't very good at it. Eventually switched to playing guitar. I'd never been to a concert. It would be years before I ever got to a concert, but... Kiss Alive just brought that whole thrill of a live show right into your bedroom, right from the opening notes of Deuce with the explosions and the sound of the crowd. It just puts you right there. You wanted the best and you got it. The hottest band in the land, Kiss! The Alive album was what made me want to go to a Kiss concert because it's, and I know there's a lot of manipulation and some studio overdubs and stuff on it, but there's no better live album at putting you in the arena than Kiss Alive. It, you really feel like you're at a Kiss concert with it. That's what I love so much about it. And it was like, God, I can't wait to go to a Kiss show. Exactly. You know, I could put it on today and it still gives me those kind of, you know, goosebumps. And you look at the album cover and you look at the, the booklet that comes in it and you try to picture what it must be like to see those guys live playing these songs. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's, it's cool that you picked Alive because as far as, you know, pivotal Kiss records. That's the other one because Crazy Nights led me into Alive because my bro- my brother gave me you know his uh, double vinyl copy of Alive and he goes, "This is the real Kiss." <laughs> and uh, and I for some reason I put down um, the second vinyl side two. I don't know why, but I put that down first on the on the turntable. And the first thing that plays is the beginning of Rock Bottom, which is very subdued. And I remember hearing the first few notes. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to listen to that. And then I go to the next song, and it's the whole rap and intro to Cold Gin, which is quite an experience to listen to as a kid. Then when it goes into the song, and I remember Cold Gin was like, Cold Gin was the pivotal moment for me to really seal the deal as a Kiss fan. And I thought they were calling it, I thought I thought they were saying Gold Gin, not Cold Gin. I don't know why, because I'm just some stupid kid. And uh, Cold Gin was really the song that like 100% sealed the deal for me. And I must have listened to Cold Gin on repeat 30 times before I listened to anything else on that record. I'll tell you something. When you're down in the dumps and you need something to bring you up, there's only one thing that's going to do it the way you want it. What's that? I can't hear you.
to me, it's one of Gene's shining moments as a bass player. It's this great bass part on that song. I remember listening to 100,000 Years and thinking, like, Peter Chris was the greatest drummer ever. Oh, me too. Like, that was the greatest drum solo I had ever heard. The fact is, it was the first and only drum solo I had ever heard, but I thought it was amazing. Same here. I, I, I got to the point where I could play the entire drum solo on my knees with my hands. <laughs> and I wanted to be a drummer so bad because of the Alive record, because of Peter Chris. Chris was absolutely my favorite member when I first got into Alive in the early version of the band. I am totally with you on that. Yeah. Um, and he's still my favorite singer of all of them. I, I love his voice, particularly in that, that era. Yeah. What are your favorite moments on that record? Let Me Go Rock and Roll. I love Let Me Go Rock and Roll just because it's like a 50s barn burner rockabilly song. Yeah, that's... That's my favorite song on Kiss Alive. And I think part of it is it's maybe the fastest song on the record. It has it's, to be. Yeah, because a lot of their songs are not that fast. Now, a lot of them are mid-tempo. Yeah, but that one is pretty fast, and it's it's just, it feels like it's bringing the show to a climax. You know, it's just, it's really winding you up, and yep. the guitar solos are great in that. And uh, going back and listening to it, kind of get ready for this conversation and what really jumped out at me is just how important ace is on this record his guitar is like so up front in the mix and it's everywhere and they're all those solos are great yeah i know you guys you guys love ace on your show and <laughs> I, I find him problematic <laughs> but he's like the most simplistic of all the guitar players they've had he's the most basic but he's also the best because he's so identifiable yeah and his solos are they're just they're great <laughs> They just they really put him face front on so much of this record, and it it works in every song. Oh sure, he's the MVP of this record. I I think. well yeah, him and Peter I think are the two best players on 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 that record. Um, things that stick out to me on this, um, one of the best one two punches on the record is "Got to Choose" going into "Hotter Than Hell." "Got to Choose" is kind of an unsung song in that band's catalog. I and I still say to this day. That if the Stones or Bad Company or somebody like that put out Got to Choose, it would have been a massive hit.
in Hotter Than Hell. I think the breakdown midway through the song in Hotter Than Hell where the riff changes to the da 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 that's a, it's an amazing musical moment in this band's career and um and then the solo coming in on top of it and i'll say the the ultimate moment on this and i still say to this day, the ultimate kiss song that defines what the original band was about is black diamond. Sure. You've got melody, you've got great harmonies. You've got every member of the band putting their best foot forward. You've got Ace doing an amazing solo. You've got Paul doing the intro vo- vocals and of course the, the main rhythm part. And then Peter Chris coming over the top with like one of the best lead vocals in the band's career. I think black diamond is like the ultimate kiss song. Out on the street for a doesn't sound like anything else either i love hotter than hell i think that's a great song but it's really their version of all right now oh sure but i think their version is better (laughs) (laughs) no i i love that song but black diamond isn't really copying anyone it's 100 percent kiss and we'd be remiss if we didn't mention rock and roll all night and you know as kiss fans we're all sick of it but it's a touchstone moment in the band's career and you know i'm I could go the rest of my life and never hear it again, but the live version of that song, that song will always be their calling card. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. I, I'm tired of it. It's hard to hear it with fresh ears, but it's an anthem. And the live version is it's head and shoulders above the studio version. I, I love Paul's little prompting to the crowd on those the little breaks before they go into the chorus and all oh, that stuff just works. Yeah, people shout at you. Alive, it really is the only representation of how Kiss really sounded. Like, even as well-produced as Destroyer is and how cool Rock and Roll Over is, I love those records dearly. They still don't really represent Kiss like Alive does. Yeah, it's it just feels like four guys just ripping it up at a great live show. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on and, um, and talking about these two Kiss records with me. I know they're both really important records in, in our our personal histories. Oh, it's been fun. 
So let's talk a little bit about Rock and Pod. We didn't get to do it last year, um, but I will be down for the show this year. So what's in store for me when I show up at Rock and Pod this year? We're excited. We've had um, kind of record sales for VIPs and hotel and everything, and it seems like there's a lot of excitement behind it this year. So we're at a new venue this time. We're doing it at the uh, Nashville Hilton Airport. We have a podcaster ballroom and a regular convention hall. There's going to be live podcast sessions going, like live podcasts in front of an audience going on in part of the podcaster ballroom, and then the main hall will have vinyl vendors, memorabilia vendors, signing tables, and then we have several guests that will have their own tables this year. We have main stage panels going on. Um, I can I can share that uh, we have Ricky Rackman, Mark Goodman, and Matt Penfield all from MTV. We're going to do a panel with them talking about their time working for the network. Um, we have a women's panel that will um, women in rock panel that we have uh, Pamela DeBar and uh, Jax Hollow, who's an up and coming uh, guitarist and singer from Nashville. Also more guests being announced working on that right now, as of this recording, um, we've got a few acoustic performances happening. We've got the talisman. So those of you that are kiss fans, the guy, Jeremy Ryan and Phil from Ace and Gene solo band um, are going to be doing some kiss songs acoustically and some of their songs from their own history. And then there'll be more stuff announced as we go forward. But main stage panels, signing sessions, you can buy vinyl. Um, we're going to have like live artists doing like live performance painting. We'll even have some horror and comic book stuff there too. It's going to be, it's a bit like we're kind of bringing Comic-Con and Rock and Pod together in a way. But yeah, it's going to be really cool. And then we've got a pre-party the night before at Mercy Lounge. And it's going to be a lot of great bands and a big jam session happening there. And then we have some stuff Sunday um with uh, Carmina Peace and Vinny Apice, who uh, host the show Hanging and Banging, also on the Pantheon Network, like both of us. And um, they're going to be doing a live version of their show and also some clinic stuff and uh, just a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, more stuff to be announced as time goes on. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a crazy weekend, and every year I wonder why I'm doing it again. But, yeah, we're, uh, we're excited. <laughs> And where can people find tickets to the show? How do they get there? Where, where do they get their tickets? Yeah, uh, home base is really just the website. Just go to Rock In Pod, R O C K, the letter N P O D dot com, and uh, click on the ticket link. Click on the hotel link to get your room, and uh, that's kind of home base for everything. Obviously, we're on uh, Rock and Pod on all your social media channels, and you can get updates that way too. Well, I will be there. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I hope as many of the listeners uh, who are in the general area can make the trip down and come by and say hi. Um, there'll be plenty of other podcasters there, too. So thanks again for coming on and doing this with me. This has been fun. It's always fun to talk about KISS. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I can talk about KISS all day. So I appreciate that. And uh, it's an honor to be on your show. You do an amazing job. And uh, I can't wait to see you again in August, man. It should be fun. So, yeah, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Brad. It was great. Chris Sinzak. Check out his podcast, Decibel Geek, and join us in Nashville August 6th through the 8th for Rockin' Pod. It's a blast. And thanks for joining us for this episode. We'd love to hear about the albums that changed your life. Tell us about it on Facebook or on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com. So whether I see you at Rockin' Pod or back here on the I'm in Love With That Song podcast in a couple of weeks, Remember to support the artists you love because this is your music and this is your crowd.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.